The word time is found about 40 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, a relatively brief book, but most of them you have just seen in the reading in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 through verse 8. What is your thought about time? How do you feel about time? It, it probably depends on where you are in the continuum of time to think about your place or your feelings about it. When I think about time, it's amazing to, to realize how fast it goes. It's hard for me to believe that in four weeks t- from today will be my 30th anniversary and that I'm 52 years old. You know, I, I think and I feel like that I feel as good as I ever have. And yet, I think maybe I have my blinders on. I, I think I say the word, huh... A whole lot more than I used to. And I also believe that after I have worked hard or I have worked out hard, it takes a lot longer to rest and recover. And I don't know that my mind is as sharp as it used to be. Or maybe it is and I've just forgotten about it. But when I think about the passage of time, I realize that Solomon has a lot to say about that. At the end of the book, Solomon paints us a picture about the passage of time. In a very familiar passage, a lot of times it's reserved for youth meetings and youth rallies. You have that passage that begins, remember now your creator in the days of youth. But it's not about young people. It's talking about the quick passage of time. And what he does is he paints a picture of the wear and tear of aging that occurs in the process of time. You know, as you read through Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 7, you see that he's making an analogy about the effect of aging on our hands and on our legs and on our teeth and on our eyes and on our ears and, and on our hearts, on our bodies and on our minds. And we talk about or maybe sometimes hope for and some of us have achieved that uh, plateau of life in which we have retired and some talk about the golden years but the aches and the pains and the heartaches that so often go along with the passage of time tell us that the passage of time is not for sissies, it's not for the faint at heart. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon is focusing on time. We have a perspective about time, and God has a perspective about time, and they're not necessarily the same. What we have in those eight verses, if you look at it, are 28 actions. Actions that God has taken that show Him at work in His providence working in time. So often I like to play God, and I know I feel like what it is that I need or what I want, and I want that to happen, and I get impatient about that. And I look at the circumstances that surround me, and I believe that I know best, but I'm thankful that God knows me better than I know myself. Not only does He know me, but God is at work in my life. And there is a particular passage that is helpful to us in a study that should give us great assurance. We have talked about the idea, one of the themes in this evening's service is, He has made everything beautiful in His time. And that comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. You'll notice there are various ways, depending on the translation that you're looking at in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. It may say he has made everything appropriate in his time. It may say he's made everything right in his time or everything beautiful in his time. He also says he has set eternity in their hearts, yet so that man cannot know the work of God from the beginning to the end. What I want us to notice is that there are three statements of blessed assurance because God is at work in your life and in mine. 
that can help us as we face not just this week, but as we face the rest of our lives, that which can help and encourage us with regard to the fact that God tells us there is a time and a place for everything. The first assuring fact that I want to share with you as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 is that he has made everything appropriate in his time. You know, life is a series of ups and downs, of good timing and bad timing. And we so often feel like we know what's the best and and what should be happening right now in our lives, but so often we don't know. And I appreciate what he says here, that he has made everything appropriate in his time. As we examine the thought and the truth of that, I want us to see that Solomon is uh, talking as he walks through the book of Ecclesiastes and giving us some great assurance in that. When you look at that list in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 through verse 8, there are some things that we look at and we say, boy, that's right, they're, they're good, those are pleasant things, and I like for those things to occur in my life. There's a time to be born. There's a time to dance. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to build up. There's a time of peace. And I can see how those things are at work in my life. But what about the other things? Do you notice that the scripture also indicates that there's a time to die? There's a time to kill? There's a time of war? There's a time to hate? And what that is saying to us is not that we should determine when it's the right time to do those things. But God is at work through all of these actions in his time as the song we just sang indicates to us. Well, think about just a couple of those for an example. When we look at this statement, there's a time to die. God's not saying to us that we determine when we think it's time for us to die. The Apostle Paul has been preaching faithfully Jesus. And as he finds himself in a prison, he's not saying, I'm going to determine when my life is over. He says, as we saw this morning, it is uh, uh, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That's going to be in God's hands and God's going to decide that. What about the more difficult one? There's a time to kill. God's not saying that we write the rules with regard to that, but he laid out even in the old law which Solomon lived under that there were rules governing when killing was that which was acceptable and according to the plan of God. In the matter of capital punishment offenses that you read about in the book of Leviticus, for example. Or if we're talking about in self-defense, there were provisions under the old law in regards to our taking care of our families and defending ourselves. Or even as soldiers in God's just wars. There's a time for all of these things to occur. But what Solomon is saying is that God knows when these times are. There are seasons in our lives. There are times when doors are open and there are times when doors are not. But what we can trust is that God is at work in His time to do those things when they are appropriate, when they are right, when they are beautiful in His time. I love history and I... I love particularly war history, and there's a a story about a secretary of the Navy, at least that was the equivalent of his job, and he made the decision on behalf of his country to invade Gallipoli, Turkey. And it was a colossal failure. And as the result of that decision, he humiliated his country, he was relieved of his duty, and as his superiors were reviewing his involvement in those decisions, they said, here are some characteristics about this man that made him a failure. He's stubborn. 
He has a blind optimism that refuses to see vital data. He looks at it through the lens of his own strategy. And he looks at it with his own point of view. And I know that this man learned from his mistakes. But a man who was considered one of the greatest failures of World War I was considered one of the greatest heroes of World War II. His name was Winston Churchill. You know, there was a man who wanted to emancipate and lead his people out of their slavery. And he tried his very best to do that. And he was wondering why the people didn't want to follow him. And then when it was time for him to be led, he gave every excuse in the world for why he shouldn't be the man to lead his people out of bondage. Moses is going to have a lot of trouble with the people of God. And yet God was ready to use him in his time. Or I think about this individual that we read about in Matthew chapter 3 in verse 17 who's baptized and his father witnesses that. Do you remember that? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know that at the time that this statement is made about Jesus, he has not performed a miracle. He has not preached a gospel sermon. He has not enlisted a single disciple. He has spent most of his 30 years getting his hands dirty in a carpenter's shop. And yet God could look and see what he was about to do with his son and he was going to change the world through him. There are things that are appropriate in their time and in their season. You know, God is at work even in the most difficult of circumstances to accomplish his will. He even works through acts of nature, not causing those things. I want you to think back four months and see how despite the natural disaster that occurred, how God was at work through those events. God was at work through those events as he opened up the storehouses of heaven and he poured out this abundant generosity through congregations and individuals who were able to have their heartstrings pulled and were able in their sympathy to help hundreds of people who were in need. God was also able through that to mobilize hundreds of members of the Lehman Avenue congregation to serve and to help and to show mercy and to, to minister to hundreds of our neighbors. And the story's not finished being written, but have you realized that as the result of the events that took place, that there are at least two new members of the body of Christ, one of which was just baptized this week, and who knows where that's going to end. If I am convinced that God is working out everything in His time, then there are at least three things that I'm going to know. That there's no reason for me to worry. If God is working out all things appropriate in His time, right in His time, why should I worry at all? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Worry, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And for all of the things that I might worry about, Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 27, I can't even add a single hour to my life. If I am certain that God is working out all things appropriate in His time, then I shouldn't worry. But not only that, if I appreciate that God is working out everything appropriate and right in His time, then that should conquer all of my fears. The Hebrews writer says as much in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I'm going to be free from the love of money, and I'm going to realize that what the Scripture says is true, that He will never forsake me nor leave me. What can man do to me? And Jesus says the most He can do to me is to take my body but not my soul. Matthew 10 and verse 38. And if I'm also convinced that he is working out everything in his time, then shouldn't that build my trust? Shouldn't I build my trust in him, that he's there, 
and that he is at work. Solomon is trying to wrestle with what this life is all about. And as he does so, what he says is that one of the truths that should give you and me assurance as we leave here and go out into the world is that God is at work to make everything appropriate to his purpose. That's the good things that I like, and that's those things that are even difficult that I don't like to see that occur. But the second great truth that I want you to think about that can give us great assurance is that in light of what we see in this verse, he has set eternity in our hearts. The longer that we live, the more we are convinced that this is the case. That there is more to this life than just this life. That this life is not the end. There is a hope that grows in us. We realize that life is not just about waking up and going to work and going to sleep and rinse and repeat over and over again. And even our relationships are empty. They don't have the meaning if they're an end in themselves, but they are a means to an end. You know, what we see here in Solomon's inspired writing is, is that God has put something inside of us that allows us to know that this is not the end of it all. It's incredible. Look all across the globe. The Tibetan Buddhists have this ritual that they commonly practice where they will take the remains of their loved ones and they'll put them up on a high mountain and they call it the the bird ritual so that the birds can carry their loved ones off to heaven. And and then there are the Segata people in the Philippines. And what they do is they will take their coffins and they'll hang them on the cliff so that they'll get them closer to heaven. Then there are many Nordic countries, especially, that have a ritual in which they take what they call death ships that will carry their loved ones off to the gods and return them to them. And then there's the Malagasy people of Madagascar. They have this very interesting ritual of taking up, they're disinterring the dead, and they put them in new clothes, and they turn the bones. That's what they call the ceremony. It's an attempt to hasten decomposition so that they can get their loved ones to the spirit world. All of these countries, and that's just a sample, have this concept, even in their superstition and their idolatry, that leads us to believe that they don't think that this life is the end. They know that there's more beyond this life. If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip or if you've been involved in long-term missions... It's an incredible thing that you will go to people and you will begin to talk to them and you'll find that even without having the benefit of Scripture, that they believe in an afterlife. They believe that there's something beyond this life. How is that? Without Scripture that they can know that, how is it they have a a conscience in them that either excuses them or accuses them? According to Romans 2, verse 14 and 15, who put that in them? Solomon says God did. God has put this innate search in us, knowing that this life is not all that there is. And as we begin to examine life, we come to understand that. And with Scripture, God points us in the direction of eternity, and He lets us know what eternity is like, and who is there, and how to get there in the place that we want to be eternally. You see, God's not left us to scratch our heads and to try to figure it out on our own. He has demonstrated to us. There's a third thing that I want us to notice, and that is that as we look at Ecclesiastes 3, we'll look at verse 11 through 14 for this last particular truth, and that is that God is in control of it all from the beginning to the end. He's in control of everything. 
That doesn't mean that we understand it. Job thought that he did, right? He thought that he had it all figured out and he wants to call God into account. And so God appears in, in, in Job 38 through 41 and he asks Job 77 questions. And basically they're questions about, Job, do you understand my mind? Do you understand my purpose? And if you look at those 77 questions, they boil down to three broad categories. And by the way, God is saying, Job, I was working out in eternity. Can you explain to me what I was doing in the eternity before you were born or you were made? He says, can you understand my creation? Can you care for my creation? And can you control my creation? And while I can't understand it all, and while I am not in control of it all, I realize that he is. And even though I don't understand his work from the beginning, that's what Solomon's going to say again in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 17. And as the Apostle Paul would echo, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable are his ways. Romans 11 and verse 33. I am convinced that God is in control of it all. From the beginning to the end. Nothing is catching him off guard. There's nothing that he's not prepared for, that he has not foreseen, as Solomon would say later in the book, that God sees the end from the beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. But because God is in control of it all from the beginning to the end, there are two things that I can see. And that is that, first of all, I can have confidence in God. If you look at verse 12 and verse 14, twice Solomon says, I know. He speaks with assurance and when you look at what he says that he knows, he knows that God's, what God does endures forever, that it's permanent, that what God does is complete. There's nothing that we can add to it. There's nothing that we can take away from it. And that it's permanent. He does these things so that we are to fear him. It's purposeful in addition. And this kicks off a, a theme that's prominent in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the first of six times in which Solomon speaks of the fear of God. The fear of God is even in the conclusion of the book. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. But because God is in control of it all, I can be confident, I can know that the God who made me has everything firmly in grasp. But it also means I can be grateful for God. I can demonstrate my gratitude to God. In Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 17, you'll notice that Solomon says that he hated life. But the life that he hated is a life where God is not in the picture. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, he loves life because this life is a life in which God is present. He gives food and he gives drink. The idea is he gives the good life. God gives the blessings that we need in this life. Life comes from God. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 18. And the pleasures of life, the legitimate ones, are from God. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 9. I need that in my daily life. I can't control the political situations of the world, of our nation, of our county. I, I can't do anything about the future. I mean, it's everything I can do to take care of each moment as it comes. I have no control over the economy and over inflation and over recessions and, and what they do to us. In fact, if you wanted me to list it out, it would be almost inexhaustible, the things that I have no control of. And no less than Solomon, who was the richest man that ever lived, that had access to the ability to do things that you and I could never do. He was in the same boat. Because we are finite. We have limitations. 
And it's because of that that this is a blessed assurance to know that God is in control of it all from the beginning to the end. That helps me when I look into the judgment. And that's where Solomon ends the book. Looking at the fact that God is going to bring every work into the judgment. But it helps me in this life as well. It was Isaiah, not Solomon, that said in Isaiah 33 and verse 6 that he will be the stability of your times. You think about how unstable it seems that so many different areas of life are. Uncertainties, things beyond our control. It's at those times especially that we appreciate and that we can appeal to the verses like Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. He is doing everything appropriate or right or beautiful in this time. He has set eternity in our hearts so that we can know that this life is not all that there is. This is a preparation for the ultimate reality. And while I can feel very small and and very insignificant, God is in control from the beginning to the end. There are things that you're stressing about. There are things that you're praying about. There are things that you're worrying about. And here's what Peter would say. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. You see, I don't have to be able to take care of everything because I have a God who can. This evening, it may be that there's something in life that you're struggling with that we can help you with. Maybe something that we can pray with you for. Maybe the struggle that you're facing is a sin struggle and you're ready to give that up and you want us to pray with you and for you as you repent and put those things behind you. Or maybe you've come to realize that what God has to offer, you couldn't provide for yourself, but he's already done it. All he asks you to do is to appropriate that grace by obedient faith. If this is your invitation tonight, we would encourage you to come right now as we stand and sing.